We're coming down to the last section, which is kind of putting all the things earlier in the book into practice. And so in these last, I think, four chapters, uh, there are a series of questions that he's written out that are intended for a counseling setting, but I also think they're very helpful if you're just having a conversation with someone. You don't have to have the formal question. You don't have to have as detailed of a question. But I think it's a very helpful way of thinking through the kinds of questions that we can ask to see what's going on in people's hearts. And uh, particularly, this section is focused on the idea of um, listening to people. But before we get there, just sort of the transition. He says, counseling is not like baking. It is more like raking. So, when you bake a cake, if you follow the recipe exactly, generally what turns out is what you expect. If you go to rake leaves, what sort of issues do you run into? Wind. Wind. It keeps coming up. Sometimes they're damp. Sometimes they're dry. Sometimes there's sticks mixed in. There's all sorts of unexpected things that come up. And so, the overall task of raking has a number of components but it doesn't always follow the same set pattern every single time. And so, uh, not so much distinct steps, but necessary tasks that accomplish the goal. So the steps that he lays out here are um, read, hearing people's hearts, reflect, helping people understand their heart responses, relate, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, and then renew, calling them to new responses from faith. And so that first one's what we're looking at this morning, this idea of read, hearing people's hearts, listening as best we can from external things, what people say, their facial expressions, the questions that we ask, the conversations we have, and see what's going on within them. Now, this is not going to be perfect because we don't always know what's going on in people's hearts. Sometimes their words are not true. Sometimes their facial expressions don't match up with what's going on in their hearts. Sometimes... Um, People just aren't willing to open up for whatever reason. But asking some of these questions helps us arrive at some of what's going on inside a person. So, listening well involves both letting counselees, fellow church members, talk and directing them with questions that draw their attention to important things. In seeking to understand people's experiences, counselors cannot have a singular focus on either the situation or the response. Uh, so he gives us an example of this. If you um, talk to a guy who yells at his wife because he's tired after working 70 hours, and you're only fixated on the fact that he's working 70 hours, and you say, well, if you just worked 40 hours, you wouldn't yell at your wife, that's a simplistic way of thinking through that particular problem. On the other hand, if you only focus on his response and fail to account for the fact that you're going to be tired and life is going to be more stressful if you're working a 70, 80 hour week. If you ignore that, then you're going to be ignoring part of the whole picture as well. All right, so there's a category, different categories of questions with regard to circumstances, self, and God. Uh, what the, each person thinks, feels, and, and does or intends with regard to these. And so I'm going to read you a case study. And then we're going to sort of work through this in a hypothetical way and what we think the answers to some of these questions might be. So uh, I was just trying to think the best way to go through this. I think this might be helpful. If you feel like this case study doesn't apply to you, um, maybe it applies to someone that you're going to talk to. Maybe it applies to uh, a family member or a friend. Uh, you can come up with your own case study afterward if you want. So 
So let's start here. A wife comes home from a once a month outing with her friends to find her husband sitting on the sofa watching TV. There are dirty dishes in the sink. The loose hinge on the door he promised to fix months ago causes the door to catch and hit her in the face on the way in. Her birthday is tomorrow, but he hasn't said a word to her about any plans of what they might be doing together to celebrate. She sulks off to bed. So, there are some issues going on. Let's. What's it? Ah, right. Right, right, right. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with the discussion of circumstances. Let's talk about it from the perspective of the husband or from the wife. If you would ask the question, what do you believe would be better circumstances for you and why? Let's start with the husband. What does it seem like he believes might be better circumstances? Now, we can't ask him because he's hypothetical and he's not answering the questions, but we can perhaps have some reasonable guesses as to what his answers might be. Okay. Better circumstances would be even less work to do, maybe. Okay. What else? Okay. All right. Yeah, a wife who never leaves me alone and makes me have to deal with this disaster of a house on my own. Okay. Any other thoughts on how the husband might answer this? Well, yeah, Jim. Well, a dirty dish, as you might say, that's a woman's. Okay. All right. You might. Are your ears still ringing over there after she whacked you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are exceptions to the rule. All right, what about the wife? If she walks in and that's what she finds, what might she believe would be better circumstances, either specifically or more broadly? Pick up that screwdriver and fix that door. Yeah. Yeah, a husband who follows through, if we were to say it, you know, a little yeah, bit more generically. All that should need to be done by sheer respect for the wife. Okay. And I'm not arguing that it shouldn't be done. I'm just, we're just talking through what things might be going on in their hearts and minds, okay? Um, he might be tired from working. Okay, he could be. Oh. In, I mean, the root for her might be, if he loved me, he would do these things. Okay. Right, so why doesn't he love me like he should? Yeah. Why do I only get to go with my friends once a month? No one asked yeah, that one. That, that might be something that comes up. All right. Let's, let's move on to an, another question that might be revealing about some things. Why do you think you are so distressed or moved by this situation? So for the husband, he doesn't seem to be particularly distressed. He seems like he's chilling. So let's think about it from the perspective of the wife. Why did it bother her so much? What were some of the reasons about the circumstances that are encountered here? Huh? She had expectations and they weren't met. Okay, such as? Fix the door, do the dishes, instead of sitting on your behind. Any, any other big things coming up that she might have been having she some expectations? Okay. It's her birthday tomorrow. Oh, her yeah. birthday tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So why would you be bothered? Come on, it's a big deal. He's not paying any attention. Okay. How about the next one? How do you typically act when you're in or reminded of this kind of situation. So let's talk about the husband. How does it seem like he might typically act? What might his, his answer be? Yeah, just sort of stumbling through life, not paying attention, okay? Or aware, but trying to avoid the problems by ignoring them, okay? Yeah. I mean, he could be lazy or he could just be tired, right? There's an, we don't know. So we don't want to assume that, but those are some possibilities. What about for the, for the wife? 
how does she typically respond? If she sulks off to bed, this could be a one-time thing, or that could just be her normal pattern of dealing with problems, right? No, it doesn't. But the more often we have a particular response to a circumstance, the easier it becomes to, for that just to be what we do. Jim? Well, her, her stress would add up yeah. uh, through many of these circumstances as they build, and uh, that's probably why she, this is the first time, that's why she sucks off the bed. Okay. Yeah, so let's go to the others one, because then I think that's going to sort of, you know, transition here. Others, all right. So in the section on others, he basically says, different inputs we have from people around us affect a number of things about us. So how do those opinions from family, friends, church, or job shape what you believe about everything from God to yourself to your situation? So let's apply it to this specific situation. How has, let's say, conversa how do, maybe the conversation she's had with her friends, how has that maybe played into her response to her husband in this situation? What might they have said to her? Again, we don't know, but just hypothetically. Yeah, so the issue of comparison, okay. What else? You deserve better. I mean, if he were the guy in that movie... You know, not the one that's rich from the city, but the one that's the hometown boy who, who she realizes she really loves and she'll be happy with forever. Um, if he were that guy, he would fix the door. Okay. Uh, what opinions from his friends might play into the situation? Oh, wives always nag. Yeah, wives always nag. Right. Right. I'm at work all day. Why didn't? Why couldn't she get it done? Okay. What else? Proverbs 31 woman would be able to fix the door. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she could do it all, and I would never have to do anything. Okay. Um. What about? I mean, there's this. Uh, there's been a couple of times. I almost said something about this in one of the mountain biking groups I'm in. It's like. Um, some guys basically his wife says oh let's do such and such and he's like nope i'm off to go ride my bike down the hill or whatever you know and and you know ha 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 but that's just how some people live They're like here's my hobby and i'm gonna do it and too bad you wanted to spend time together because it's about me it's it's my weekend it's what i want to do okay so those sorts of attitudes jokingly or not easily get absorbed from the people around us uh, how would opinions from family contribute to how they respond in this situation? Okay. That sounds like the voice of a mother-in-law. Okay. Although it could be the, the father-in-law as well. What else? I think, the, again, the expectations and then the comparison. My dad would have yeah. fixed this. My Dad, my brother would have done this, you know, just comparing other men in her family potentially. Okay. Yeah, or vice versa, you know, my mom always made the mac and cheese that I liked, or, you know, my mom always cleaned up the dishes, or whatever else, you know. So family background plays into our perceptions of situations like this. Okay, moving on to the top of the next little section. What might your emotions show that you're wanting from these other people, and do these emotions drive you to respond a particular way? 
So the fact that she sulks in response to it, what is it she, she's wanting from him? Okay. All right, Jim. Maybe she wants a helpmate. Okay. Somebody who would partnership with her. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, what? Well, there was a little bit of a lull, so we all heard your comment there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what? Uh, what about him? What does his apathy potentially show about his? emotional response to the situation doesn't care. doesn't care now there could be a variety of reasons why he doesn't care Jim? he's kind of stagnant he's, he's stuck in a spot where it's all about him yeah okay yeah he's celebrated birthday last year <laughs> yeah, maybe the year before it as well okay yeah what would you, and then you could ask the person this, what would you say are both good and poor choices that you've made in response to other people? Why do you consider them good or poor? So, all right, let's ask the husband, what are some good or bad choices that you've made tonight? I rested so that I can go to work tomorrow. Okay, that, that would not be a shocking response he might have. What else? Good or bad choices? Right. So maybe even it's not even like a, I'm never going to do this, but the prioritization procrastination thing. Okay. All right. Um, what about for the wife? Oh yeah. You know, it, it's supply chain issues, guys. All right. Um, what about the wife? What might she evaluate as good or poor choices? Yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I, I just can't deal with him anymore, so I have this one night a month that I can spend away from him, and it sort of gives me a break, and then I can come back to the situation, and I've got a little bit of a, a break from it. That's not necessarily a negative thing, though. It might not even be for that reason. It's okay. Other Christian women. It's kind of that reason. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm just saying, like, if, it, if she views it as a... Um, like I've given up on the marriage and this is just my only break that keeps me from just walking out the door kind of thing. So, yes, but that's not necessarily the response. But, yeah, I agree. The, the idea of spending time in fellowship is good. I think what tends to happen on this subject with regard to spending time with friends is we tend to view it as a, like our, our culture views it as the man will hang out with the guys and they'll do whatever they want to do and the wife will hang out with the girls, and they'll do whatever they want to do. And there's not really much, if, if they ever have to go to something as a couple, it's this drudgery, and they don't want to ever have to do that. And that those times are purely selfishly oriented, when, even when they're going by themselves to do things. And it's never, it's never like the, the fellowship, the, the iron sharpening iron kind of thing that should be happening. And so, you know, not every get-together that... Uh, a man or a woman does for who's a believer has to be in connection with the church or has to be like a super spiritual thing but at the same time if none of them ever are there's there's some kind of issue going on you're looking at a microcosm of a situation yeah absolutely the obvious thing was are you guys talking? yeah you guys communicating at all? okay okay yeah good I 
Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, even figuring out are there, are there basic things they need to be doing, issues like communication, issues like forgiveness, issues like uh, what are expectations of what a husband and wife, how they're supposed to interact, you know, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, there's some basic things there that probably need to be addressed. Bob? I think, too, the, the default for every, well, for most men, is identifying all the things wrong with her. Okay. And I can't speak for women because I'm not one, but I would assume that there's a possibility that the women are struggle with that as well, focusing on all of his issues and not their own. Where in reality, if we all focused on our own sin and battled against it, that would solve the majority of the issues. That's a great segue to the next section on self. So, I if, that. what's that? I planned it. Yeah, good job. Uh, I'll give you a McDonald's coupon later. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, if I asked for the three most important things you believe about yourself, what would you say? So, if we were to ask the husband that, what could be some possible answers? What do you think is most important about you as a person? I provide for my family. I provide for my family. Okay. Maybe. Maybe not this guy, but <laughs> maybe. Yeah, just this guy. Oh, this guy. Yeah, so this guy. What are some answers he might give to you? What are three really important things about yourself? I really like movies. Oh, sure. I really like movies. Yeah. You know, he stayed home instead of going out to the bar or something like that. Yeah, I mean, look at all the things I could have done instead. What's the big deal about me? Chilling on the couch, right? Maybe he's not watching a movie. Maybe he's watching football. So maybe instead of I like movies, it's I like sports, okay? That could be something that's important to him. What else might be important to him? He might say, I Okay, and that's where that second question comes in. If I asked your spouse or close friend what they think you believe about yourself, what would they say? And even a follow-up to that, what does God think about you? Because we have what we think about ourselves. I'm an honest person. I'm a diligent person. I'm a whatever. But other people nearby might look at our lives and say, well, you think that about yourself, but here's some reasons why that might not really be true. Um, or here's some things that seem to be more true that you think about yourself. Obviously, the most important is how, what's, God's, or what's God's assessment of us what does God say we are or should be, right? But even the basic question, sometimes asking a person that and then seeing if there's any disconnect between what they think is important about themselves and what other people feel is, that, that can be revealing in various ways. Uh, what, about, what about the wife? What might she say is important to her? What does she believe about herself? Sandra. Okay, yeah, so um, in, this, uh, in this case study, I didn't give you anything to let you know if she has any children or not, but that could be very much something that's, that's very, um, there's a hand out there too, just so you have it if you want it. Evan can give you one. Um, yeah, so that is often something that, that a, a wife and a mother would say sort of defines her, okay? I, I take good care of my children, okay? 
Um, what, what else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I keep my house clean. And then if that's what she believes is true about herself and her, she sees her husband as an obstacle to that, that's going to create conflict, obviously. Okay. Any, any other ideas, Evan? I'm always serving him. I have one, one time a month where I go out. Otherwise, I'm always home. Yeah. I mean, this is really unfair that he's acting this way given how much I do for him. Yeah. Okay. All right, what about the next section there, this, uh, this issue of desires? What do you see in other people that you wish were true of you? What have you been told is deficient in you? If you could change two or three things about yourself, what would those be? Now, let's start with the husband. What do you see in other people that you wish were true of you? With regard to the man who's sitting on the couch, not really doing things, watching TV. Okay. I wish I could do as much as they do. Okay, that could be one response. What other, what other things might this guy say with regard to what do you see in others that you wish were true of you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really tired and I'm overwhelmed, and I just wish that I could live up to all these things that, you know should be able to do, you know? Okay? Maybe he has a, he wish he had a better memory. <laughs> I keep forgetting to do all these things. So, yeah, oh, that too. So here's a really interesting aside. When I was first working my first job out of college, I was supposed to take a projector from one building to the other for some chapel session in the, at the seminary. And first of all, I put it off. And then the morning of, it wasn't there. And I was like, ah, and then I you know, went to go grab it. And so the guy who had asked me to put it there, who was like my supervisor, basically said, why, why didn't you put it there? And he says, I said, because I, I forgot. Which was true at one level. But in reality, if I hadn't procrastinated, I wouldn't have forgotten it. So the ultimate reason was not so much I forgot, it was that I put it off until I forgot. Interestingly enough, 12 years later, I had a similar conversation with Braden about something I had asked him to do. And I think the exact same thing had happened. I forgot. Well, kind of. But in reality, you put all these other things ahead of it, which then led to you forgetting, and so that's not really the main point of what you were saying, Bob, but it made me think about that. Sometimes what we would say about those things, I wish this was true of me, that I wouldn't be so forgetful, is ultimately more really, I need to be less of a procrastinator, for example. Uh, other things that he might wish were true of him. Or what way he had been told is deficient about him by his wife or by other people. Okay, manage time better. Yeah, maybe he's been told he's lazy. And so he's like, well, everybody thinks I'm lazy. I might as well be lazy, you know? It's a lot easier than not being lazy. Yeah, the three burned out light bulbs that are not working and the uh, room that got painted. Shit mentioned all that. Okay. Yeah. 
<clears throat> he may not be skillful um, to know how to repair the hinge or something. All right, and so then this ties back to the thing we were saying before. My dad were here, he used to fix everything, and you're just, why can't you ever fix any of these things? Now, the reality is, not all of us have, not all of us have the same skill sets. When we bought our first house, I didn't know how to fix anything. I learned how to fix a lot of things after owning a house. But, in some cases, someone says, you know what, I'm not gonna take the time to learn how to fix it, I'm gonna instead pay someone else to do it. And that's a legitimate option. You know, in, in, in the setting of a couple, it doesn't always have to be that the husband handles the finances. Some women are accountants and way better at managing money than their husbands are, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, Bob. Although, I would say that in practice, not that the man is better, at handling finances, because I would agree there are many women that are better, mm. but I would say similarly, there are probably women that are better teachers of their children. That doesn't mean the husband shouldn't do it. I would just say from a practical standpoint, working with finances for the last 17 years, I have not seen a case where, the, where it wasn't better that the man handle it because of the stress that goes along with it, and not to say that women can't handle it, but just from my personal experience, the vast majority of time, the men should have that responsibility. All right, so let's take a different one. I'm, I'm not saying Sorry, you're wrong. No, 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 I'm not, just, no, I'm not saying you're wrong. Things. Let's take one of the ones that might rub us the wrong way. Cooking. <laughs> uh, let's say the husband is a master chef. Okay, sure, cooking. The husband's a master chef. Is it wrong for him to cook most of the meals at the house? Is, does the Bible say women have to cook and clean and men have to work outside? No. Now, it does say men have to provide. And so if he is playing at being a master chef and not providing for his family, that's a different kind of a thing. But if he is actually good at a particular thing and he does more of the cooking, there's nothing wrong with that. And so this is where, you know, it's a whole other topic. We have to be careful not to let the things that we absorb from our parents and grandparents in society uh, and sort of these stereotypes about gender roles drive things more than actual principles of scripture. Um, but it ties into this question of what do people think is deficient in you? Um, what, what might she have been told is deficient in her? Yeah, maybe people have made have mocked her because of her husband. Now, you know, question her judgment, for example. Why would you marry a guy like that? Why are you still with him? You know, all those sorts of things, you know? All right? What other ways might she have been told that she's deficient? I mean, we're just kind of guessing here because I didn't give you a lot of background that would really give us clues to a lot of that. Okay. Yeah, so maybe her friends are giving her a hard time because she doesn't spend more time with them. Again, we're just we're just guessing here, but okay, that's that's a possibility. <laughs> Paul, you're being very creative with <laughs> Tina. Got no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, yeah, she's not as well off, maybe, and there could be many reasons for that. Um, and then, if you could change two or three things about yourself, with the, with the, what we already kind of talked through that one. What causes or issues would you say you're most dedicated to in life? 
Let's talk. Let's ask the husband. What things are really important to you? If we were guessing based on this story, what would we say? His comfort. Comfort, hobbies, watching TV, not fixing things. That doesn't seem to be high on his priority list. Not celebrating birthdays. Not celebrating birthdays. Okay. Um, what about for her? What what things might be she might be dedicated to? Really hard to say because we just don't have that much detail. Yeah. Okay. Wanting the house to function, yeah. Now, I don't. I think that's just like a basic expectation most people have. I think if we were going to say, like, uh, if we were to expand on the story, and the once a month outing with her friends was because they're part of the Audubon Society and they went bird watching, you know, maybe that would play a role in this whole thing of the conflict between the husband and the wife. If he's like, "Why are you spending all this money? I think this is a dumb thing that you're doing," and you know, whatever else. Evan? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So then how does the dedication show itself in your pursuits? What do you use your free time to pursue? We could throw in here the idea of money. If you want to see what's important to you, keep a time log of what you do in your given week and track the way you spend your money over the course of a month. That will give you a really good clue about what's important to you at any given moment. It's not like a biblical mandate, it's just a practical thing. So if we were to look at their at their bank and credit card statements, and if we were to look at a kind of a time log, we could figure out what's important to them. Now, we see this snapshot, but this might not be representative of them. Like, most of the time, they might, this might just be like one conflict, and most of the time, they may be doing great. They might be spending lots of, let's say, you know, they, they spent the whole week, for example, uh, let's say that he was, just got back from a, a mission trip. And that's the reason that he's tired and hasn't had the motivation to, to get all these things done. Uh, that would completely change our perspective, I think, than if we just see this. So that's why we've got to be careful not to assume about these sorts of things and consider the whole circumstance. Jonathan? I know I came in late, but yeah. this whole discussion is kind of throwing me off. Um, shouldn't we be talking to them about basic Bible principles and their salvation? Yes, so I guess the way that he's approaching it is um, he's trying to ask diagnostic questions that deal with what are the particular issues that seem to be troubling them at the moment. And so, yeah, depending on the setting in which you're doing this, you might want to figure out, is the person uh, a Christian? So, um, so we're actually going to, and, and we could actually, you know, invert these. So this, the way he set it up was circumstances, others, self, and God. We could start with God, which is the next section, a question like, if you could describe who God is and how he acts. You know, that sort of gets at the, the what do you believe about God, are you a believer kind of issues. Even when I'm talking to unbelievers, whether it be at work or people that I met or wherever, that's my goal. Yeah. Is to try and steer them towards godly principles, maybe mention passages of the Bible, um, talk about basic concepts that lead towards salvation. Um, I'm not trying to be a psychologist in a worldly perspective because that's basically useless. Jonathan, this is about hearing. We're trying to hear what's going on with them. No, yeah. I, I totally agree. You have to hear where somebody's coming from to be able to relate to them. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I get where you're coming from. Um, 
So for one, I only picked some of the questions. And for another, yeah, I mean, so this is where I think there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect between a formal counseling kind of scenario. And I, I will admit this. One of the pendulum swings that has taken place in biblical counseling, so in the 1950s, biblical counseling was basically secular psychology, and we'd quote a few Bible verses. Then some people like Jay Adams and my grandpa and a bunch of other people said, this is not the way that we should be talking to people about from the Bible, so let's take them back to the Bible. We're not, we're not professionals. We're not detached. We're not uncaring. We want to point people to what God has said. So forget all the things that Freud and all these other guys have said. What does the Bible have to say? There's been somewhat of, and I think because the pull is so strong to be respected by, by whatever, that I'm sure that some of the way that he shaped these questions is influenced by the fact that the general trend in biblical counseling seems to be somewhat back toward a professionalism. Now, a professionalism that's hopefully rooted in biblical principles instead of secular ones, but a professionalism nonetheless. And so, yeah, in the context of the local church, I think you're raising a really good point, Jonathan, which is we, our ultimate goal is to assess what's going on in people's hearts because we want to get them to biblical principles, not just so that we can, as you said, psychoanalyze them. And so there's some tensions here. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, at the same time, if we don't ask some of these questions, I think what ends up happening is we try to take people to the biblical principles that we find most interesting or familiar instead of taking them to the biblical principles that are most relevant and necessary for them at a given moment. And so you don't have to use these questions, but I think we should ask some kinds of questions to figure out to the best we can what's going on in people's hearts. So if, if you're not doing a formal counseling session with someone, you're not going to ask all these questions. The reason I'm laying these out for you is so that you can have some of these ideas in the back of your mind that when someone's just telling you about something that went on in their week, you can say, oh, okay, and, and just have some categories and framework to kind of potentially put it in. Paul? Isn't this step one of four? It is. In the beginning, there are four steps of this type of analysis. Yeah. When you get to step three and four, that's very, very Christ-centered and Right. And at some point, particularly when you get to steps three and four, so he talks about hearing people's hearts, helping people understand their heart responses, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, and then calling them to new responses from faith. By the time you get to step three, this is where trying to counsel someone who's an unbeliever usually breaks down, because we can say, here's what God wants you to do, and a lot of times they'll be like, great, I don't care. Or, sure, I'll try that as long as it makes my life better whether it be their marriage or their finances or whatever else, but ultimately that's going to keep failing the more that they're rebelling against Jesus because Jesus didn't give us principles about how life works so that we can enjoy life apart from him, but sort of secondary to actually following him as our Savior. And so uh, this is where I think sometimes different witnessing approaches go wrong. We're like, well, if you believe in Jesus, here's how your life's going to be better. The reality is if you believe in Jesus, your life's probably going to be worse, at least in the short term, because now you're sort of bucking the trend of all the things you've done before. So, yeah, so Paul has a fair point. We're going to try to get into some of those things. I think he's approaching it from, we could have this conversation with an unbeliever, 
And this is far more detailed than a typical conversation we'd have in a church setting or at work or wherever else. But we're just trying to build a framework of some kinds of questions we could ask. Jonathan, do you have a follow-up on that? or? Um, basically, I think we have to be concerned about how much time we're we'll spending and uh, they're going to get lost in the time continuum of discussion and we're going to lose the eventual purpose. Yeah, that's a great point. If you don't start out talking about God from the beginning, it becomes harder and harder to talk about God. You've got to be aware of the sort of interaction that it is. If you're just talking to someone in the checkout line at the gas station, you're not going to get into all these things. You might pick out one question and ask them or something. Ben? Or like if you lived in a neighborhood for a long time and you weren't witnessing to any of your neighbors, then it would be odd to just all of a sudden start unless you had a conviction. Yeah, definitely it would be awkward. It would be good. But potentially you could, you know, your goal is to get there and maybe any one of these questions as they're talking about their day, even if you don't ask them these questions, can help you think about maybe where the person's coming from. Bob? And I know this is a hypothetical and we're making a lot of assumptions, but where are we starting from? It seems as though based on the situation that this is an unsafe couple, at least most likely based on the information that we have, and this book is for pastors and counselors. Yeah. So the theory then is that an unsaved couple is going to a pastor or a biblical counselor. Yeah. So there should be some association already that God is going to be a part of the, the solution if that is the case. I think this could quite easily be a professing Christian couple, though, I would say. Okay. I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a lot of issues, but I mean the church at Corinth were genuine believers and they had a lot of these kinds of issues. So that, yes, I think it's to some extent a waste of time to try to counsel people from the Bible who are unbelievers if they're unwilling to pursue a relationship with Jesus because it's ultimately going to fail. At the same time, it's at least worth having some of those conversations a few times. And so, you know, where do you draw the line with regard to how you're going to, um, you know, let people... Let, let people keep coming to you or whatever else versus when you, and then you have to prioritize what's the best use of your time. So, Sandra. Um, to Yeah, I mean, I, so my, ten, my tension with that and my tension with that whenever I'm talking to an unbeliever and saying here's what God said about something is if the ultimate goal isn't to see them trust Jesus, sometimes we've just said how to be a better lost person. 
and I'm not saying that's your goal at all. And yes, we should say, here's what God says. I'm just trying to say, it ultimately is not going to work for them, is the problem, you know? At least not consistently. So, you know, children, or parents, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a good parent, you should prioritize church. If you say that to an unbeliever, and they end up saying, all right, well, that means I should have my, send my kids to a church. What I see a lot of parents doing is they'll send their kids to a church. They won't go to church. What do their kids take away from that? This isn't that big of a deal. As soon as their parents stop making them go, they don't go anymore. And so if, if we've just said, here's this one principle, and you need to do this, it may help for a little while, but doesn't help long term. And so the ultimate goal is to, is to point them to Jesus because... If you, uh, you, uh, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Again, I'm not saying, yes, absolutely. So if someone says some off-the-wall thing and we say, hey, you know, here's what God says, we share a scripture verse, God can use that as a building block in helping them to think about the world in a biblical way and or to lead them to salvation. So I'm not saying don't have those conversations. Just that if, uh, if we're just saying here's a biblical principle, it's... it's uh, Yeah. Absolutely. My only concern is that we don't get to the point where they say, well, I listened to these three principles you shared from the Bible. It fixed my problem. I don't need Jesus anymore. That, that's what I'm trying to avoid. So that, does that, is that more clear where I'm coming from? Okay. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely, we should share truth from God's Word. We should push back counterculturally and do some apologetics. But, but the goal is that we want to always stress that they need to be pointed to Jesus. So... Um, Sorry about the part in italics. That was a typo. I was working on this with insufficient sleep, so skip that. Go to the section on God. Um, if you could describe who God is and how he acts toward you in a few words, what would you say? How do you learn about God? I mean, you could ask a question like this that could then lead you to a witnessing opportunity of an unbeliever. And if you say, I feel like I should start with God, some, I think it's important to remember when I say circumstances, others, self, and God, these are just groupings of questions or categories of questions. You don't have to start with them in the order they are on this page. And perhaps the most important questions are, what does a person think about God, feel about God, act toward God? And so that's perhaps even the best place to start. However, sometimes you try to go down that road and someone won't listen, 
And so then if you ask them some of these other questions, you, you get a feel for uh, what's going on in their hearts, and then you can lead them to Scripture. So let me just read through these for sake of time, and then I'll ask you the last question, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up. If you could describe who God is and how he acts towards you in a few words, what would you say? How do you learn about God? These are profound questions from the perspective of Bible revelation being the second, I mean, should be the answer to how do you learn about God, but a lot of people are like, well, I just sort of feel things to be true, and that is very revealing about their worldview. If you could describe who God is, that reveals a lot about their background, their, their outlook in life, and all those sorts of things. If you were to guess what emotion God feels towards you most often, what would it be? If you could have a guaranteed yes to one or two requests, what would they be? That shows you what they prioritize, what they believe in, all those sorts of things. If you would say God is your greatest commitment, then how is this demonstrated in your pursuits? So maybe there's someone who says, I'm a Christian. They never go to church. They never read their Bible. They never pray. They never spend time with other believers. They never even try to like live out what we would think of as a Christian life. Well... Questions like this can help them say, well, wait a minute, I say I believe this, but my life doesn't match up to it. And sometimes those, those questions can be used to stir their conscience. So, last thing, I just want to spend just a moment on this and we'll wrap up. Three verses that seem like a good starting point to help this couple based on what you heard and maybe some of the answers to these questions. Or just give, even, even give me one. Because this is the problem. Somebody dumps a whole situation on you, and there might be 10 or 15 things that you're like, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. We have to prioritize what is the most important one. So that's why I said pick three, three verses that you think you would share with this couple, even just one of them. What verse would you share with this couple at this point? And you might not even say it yet, but you have it in the back of your mind so that when we get to the next chapter, helping them understand their responses, you might say, you know what, I was going to say this verse, but now I'm not so sure I should go to this one instead. But just tentatively, what would be three verses that you would share with this couple? What would be one of them? Okay, so the biblical idea of sacrificial love, okay, because that seems to be lacking in this relationship. What else? Okay, yeah. So, like, how relationships are supposed to work and the husband's supposed to lead and serve the wife. Okay, some of that, good. Give me one. Okay, yeah, is that what you're thinking, Paul? Or Genesis, but then Ephesians 5 ties in. Give me one more. What's one other thing, Sandra? No, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, so there's the one in 1 Peter 3, but also in Ephesians 5. So, yeah, so one of those. So what sort of attitudes do you have toward each other? Is it you do your thing, I do my thing, I look down on you, or is it yeah, a mutual respect that's tied to a, a biblical love? All right, good. So those could be three tentative verses that we'd say, all right, these are the ones I'm going to write down. We talk a little bit more, we might say, eh, maybe this other one fits better, but at least you've got a little bit of a plan of where you would take them in the Bible to solve the most pressing issues from this particular scenario. All right, we went a little longer than I should have, sorry about that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to consider these things. Um, Lord, uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we have in talking with people is knowing even the kinds of questions to ask to start them talking about things that are important 
to move past just the empty trivialities that we often talk about to important issues. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom. I mean, these questions certainly aren't inspired, but maybe they can uh, just be tools that we would adapt and shorten and make more concise and just be, you know, little ways for us to probe what's going on in the hearts and lives of the people around us, people who don't know you and need to, people who do know you and need to be admonished to follow you more, uh, people who need encouragement, people who need strengthening, all sorts of different people. Help us to use your word well. And uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.